Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, Brent and I are here in our Kelpie rooms for this episode because it's SST212, The Descendants Fat EP. We've had these tracks on before, I think by my count, twice before, but we're going to still get into some new fat info on this episode. And man, oh man, Brent, do we have a special guest? Yeah, we've got uh, Pat Hoed on the show. So Pat worked for SST. This interview has nothing to do with the Descendants. I'll say that right off the bat. But for some of these episodes, you know, where we we're we're getting into repeat material, we're going to be seeing more and more comps and and re reissues as we get deeper into the catalog. We're going to talk to other people. This isn't just a podcast about the bands and the music, although that is primarily what we focus on. It's also about SST. Uh, so finding these these people that worked for the label and stuff and uh, have interesting stories on their own outside of SST, that's something we want to we wanna focus on too. Yeah, and for people who know Pat Hoed, like for those who know, you know already. For those who don't know, you got to check out this interview. It is, I said this to Brant offline, this is top 10 Mojack interviews so far. It's just amazing. The, the info... And the the repeated mind blowing in this in this interview, you're you're gonna love it. So hang in there. Yeah. Before we do that, Brent, do you want to hit us with some spiels? Sure, Ryan. Uh, this week I'm going to the Sub Pop Singles Club. Oh, did you subscribe to no. the last one? No, oh, okay, I did not. <laughs> okay, okay. I I don't actually know if these were all Singles Club releases. You might be you might be able to tell me. Some for sure were. Uh, mm-hmm. I pulled out some some singles this week, a few on the tree. Okay. So here we go. Das Domin, Sad Mile. Yeah. I bet you you have every single single that I'm every single single by Das Domin. No, that I'm about to mention here. Oh, oh, maybe it's yeah. possible. Uh, so this one came out in '89, likely their first post SST release. The A side is it's a different version of Sad Mile than shows up on the Mousetrap full length. Uh, this this version of the band would be the one where Dave Matamid was back in the band, replacing Phil Leopold Von Trapp on on bass. On eight-string bass. There you go. I don't know if Dave Matamid played an eight-string bass, though. I don't think so. I'm just saying that that's, that was Phil's jam. Yeah. Very 60s pop sounding, way more than anything I'd say that we've heard on any of the SST albums. And speaking of 60s, uh, pop music. The flip side has a great uh, sample, actually, to kick off a great cover of the Creations' "Making Time." Oh yeah, got me jazz to get to another Domin fix in like seven more episodes or so. Yeah, yeah. Every Domin record is killer. Yeah, the back cover has a hilarious clipping from a personal ad. <laughs> you know where a, a, it's? I think it says a long-haired Harley riding music playing strong and gentle individual seeks woman. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know where where the the first place I heard that song, Making Time? Where do you think the first time I ever heard that song was? Probably on Nuggets or something? No, the Rushmore movie. Oh. Yeah, it features prominently in that movie, another killer Wes Anderson Mm -hmm. needle drop. There you go. Okay, Tad, Loser with Cooking with Gas is the B-side, 1990. Uh, this is for sure a singles club release. Classic Charles Peterson shot of the band just delivering the goods live. And one of those uh, Peter Bag 
you know, Ed Roth style pieces of art on the back that Sub Pop and Estrus were using a lot during this era. Mm-hmm. Engineered by, by Albini, both of these tracks ended up being re-recorded a few few years later for Inhaler. Uh, if hard to pick a version, I I prefer of the the two versions. They're both epic. Cooking with Gas just has the most unhinged vocal from Tad Doyle. <laughs> like I, I need to rewatch that Tad doc, like ASAP. Yeah. It's been a while yeah. since I saw it. Yeah, it's a good one. It's nice when you see Tad and Kurt kind of reconcile at the end, too. Yeah. Okay, truly, Leslie's Coughing Up Blood, 1993. So good. Another on the tree, Robert Roth with Mark Pickerel and Hiro Yamamoto. This was their second single. Both of these tracks, in the same versions, I believe, are on their debut album. Uh, But that didn't appear for a few more years. So when this came out, these were... You know, brand new songs to to most people. Just another one of those truly, pardon the pun, classic double A-sided singles from this era. I really don't think truly gets the recognition they deserve. Maybe maybe a few years late to the party. Mm -hmm. Still no updates on that double LP reissue of Kid Coma, but as far as I can tell, it's it's still coming out on the great Aussie label Bang Records. Yeah, and... And speaking of no updates, you were talking about uh, the uh, the artwork, like Ed Roth and stuff like that, that Sapop and Estrus was using. I haven't seen that Estrus book come out yet, have you? Mm, no. Yeah, where is that? Yeah, who knows? Okay, speaking of Pickerel, uh, Subpop 48, 1989's double 7-inch by the Screaming Trees. More great fold-out artwork. Mm-hmm classic psychedelic photo of the band from charles peterson this is maybe the bridge from sst to epic like i believe this came out after buzz factory but before uncle anesthesia four killer cuts produced by indino and steve fisk uh this totally awesome track days has some super cool trumpet playing from gary lee the track on here time speaks her golden tongue is easily one of the tree's top 10 tracks ever Total psychedelic masterpiece with that once-in-a-generation vocal from Mark Lanigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we can read all about this these deadly this deadly single in the Screaming Trees book, Ryan. Have you seen this? No. What are you talking about? There's a Screaming Trees book, but it's unfortunately uh, entirely in Italian. Oh, no way. Yeah. When, is that like a new release? It's just out. Oh, but it's all in Italian, hey? As far as I can tell, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Maybe that's why I haven't seen it on any of my feeds or whatever. Yeah. But man, every time now that I listen to Lanigan sing, it's just like, what a loss. I, you know, yeah. I don't want to speak for anybody in the band, uh, but in a weird way, some of that negativity, I think, in his, you know, about the Screaming Trees in his book seemed to spark a seed of reconciliation, maybe. Like, it seemed like maybe Mark regretted some of what he said, and mm. and who knows, you know, I don't know. It maybe could have led to at least some reconciliation between the, the band members, if not, you know, having them work together in some capacity. Guess we'll never know. Sub Pop 57, The Fluid Tip Top Toy, with Tomorrow Totally. Stooged out, raunchy rock and roll from Denver. Love The Fluid. And speaking of Domin... Remember, Ryan, John Robinson of The Fluid had a band with Jim Walters post-Domin called New United Monster Show. 
Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, nothing was ever released, but there's a setup on YouTube from the Continental Club in New York from 1998, and it is just so excellent. It's a crime that their recordings haven't been released. I do remember Jim telling us he has some, though. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, love to hear that. Add that to the list of unreleased SS Tree stuff. Yeah, well, maybe it'll come out on the, the You Don't Know Mojack double LP comp. Maybe. Maybe uh, Soul Jazz will put out like a Punk 45 comp Mojack version, and it's all the SS Tree stuff. Yeah. That'd maybe. be sweet. All right, Ryan, what do you have? I have a couple of spiels. My first one, though, Brent, I want to give you some quick street cred, okay? Oh. Yeah, not that you're lacking. Is it about the Mass CD? It is, it is 100% about the Mass CD. So I got this disc on your recommend. This, of course, is the Mass, the band called Mass, the, the double CD comp terminal on Audio Platter Limited. Came out last year. I really should have known about this band a bit a bit better. I feel like I glossed over them like years ago. Um, and you reminding me uh, was a huge, perfect recommend. Really shows that you know what I like, yeah. too. <laughs> I knew you were going to love it as soon as I heard it. Oh, yeah. It's it's easily, you know, top two recommends of all time from you, along Whoa. with the boot, the boot heels. Whoa. So, oh, yeah, for sure. I like everything about this band. Um, I feel like I've been missing out for decades. I can't wait now to just like listen to this on repeat. It's like a British tar or arc welder or naked ray gun with a more melodic John Lydon singing. Goth tinged, noisy buzzsaw guitars, great melodic bass. Just awesome. And then you mentioned that you weren't able to find much about them. So I wanted to give you a quick, quick spiel on them. Okay. And... I, there isn't much out there, but I did find some stuff that I thought would be interesting. Um, as I mentioned, a British, I, and actually I should mention on this double disc, there's a Peel session. And so of course there's a write-up on John Peel's website about them. And that's uh-huh. where I got, that's where I got a few uh, leads, I should say. Um, so they're a British band with members from Oxford and Cambridge. They uh, were around from 1990 to 1992. Daz Freilich on bass Ian Milan on vocals, Nick Rial on guitar, and Steve Beatty on drums. They disbanded in 92. Nick Rial from the band was in this goth supergroup called G7. I wonder if you've ever heard of them. They have uh, Jazz Coleman from Killing Joke, Patricia Morrison from Sisters of Mercy, and Mick Brown from The Mission. G7 is the band. And I thought now, you were going to say Wild Mick Brown from Dawkin for a second there. <laughs> no. Damn. Look at you, always trying to squeeze in a Dawkins reference. Uh, Nick now teaches music at Cambridge. Daz Freilich, he went on to play bass in a band called the Trash Monkeys in the late 90s, early 2000s. They are kind of a German-British garage punk band from Hamburg and Cologne. They're not that good for me anyways. They're kind of like, you know, the Hives mixed with Franz Ferdinand, kind of that scene, that time frame. Right. Didn't really grab me. Um, Ian Milan, can't find anything about any subsequent projects for him. Steve Beatty, though, was in a ton of bands afterward, before and afterwards, I should say. He was uh, the drummer in this band called Disgust, a crust punk band that had releases on Earache and Nuclear Blast. Okay. And we actually mentioned Nuclear Blast in the interview. Right, yeah. 
Um, he was in another band called Brainless, kind of a trash punk band. They have a record called Super Punk Tuesday from 1996 on Golf Records. Another band he was in called October File, a post-hardcore, oh, yeah. yeah, kind I of a, two, yeah. Two, a 2000s uh, post-hardcore band. Yeah, um, cool. yeah, they didn't really grab me. I And I mean, I, I just kind of quickly sampled these bands. I'll tell you which ones I like the best, though, in a sec. Um, I, I think the thing that didn't really grab me on October File was the vocals, not so much into them. He was also in a prog band called Warm Rain. Very, very Pink Floydy sounding. If you're, I don't think it's the type of prog that you're into so much, Brant. Like probably not. Like David Gilmore, Pink Floyd proggy. No, not my thing. Yeah, yeah. He was also in an anarcho punk band from the 1980s called Stone the Crows, and this is one of the best ones that I found out that Steve Beatty played on. They, they have a comp on Overground Records from 2015 called Protest Songs, 85 to 86. That's one to check out. Stone the Crows, a narco-punk from the mid-80s. It's good. Probably the best, though, that on the uh, the mass tree. The mass tree, maybe? Sure. Um, the on best the mast? One that... <laughs> That's horrendous. Um, probably the best one for me so far is a band called Schindler. They're listed on Discogs as, you know, quote-unquote alternative. I would probably put them more in the vein of prog and post-hardcore. But out of any of the mass uh, offshoots, in addition to Stone the Crows that I would recommend for you, check out this band Schindler and their uh, record Transverse Mercator from 2000 on Golf Records. That seems like it's a, it's a good record. I have to give it a few more listens, um, but that's worth checking out. At the end of the day, though, I can't believe I missed this band. And you've got some serious street cred for that. Um, my second spiel, Brant, is a pop quiz for you. Oh, boy. Now, this pop quiz, I, I wasn't planning to give it to you, but uh, I thought it would be fun because we were quizzing each other last week and we were both failing so miserably. Yeah. This one, though, is an alternative press magazine pop quiz. Now, they have been putting out top 20s forever. And I used to actually subscribe to Alternative Press in the 90s and maybe even into the early 2000s. I can't remember when I quit my subscription. They turned into like an emo teen beat yeah. magazine for me. And it was just, bleh, couldn't, I, I, just could, yeah. I just I just couldn't do it. But in the 90s, like awesome, awesome magazine. You know, you would have like front page stories on Fugazi, Jesus Lizard. It would just go on and on. Alternative Press was great. I still, though, follow their feed and subscribe to them on email, and I, I, I check out their top 20s. Do they still uh, have a print edition? I don't even know. Yeah. They might not. Uh, I really don't know. Um, I didn't even bother looking because, again, like I looked at, they have at least a cover for this month, and I saw that it had Avril Lavigne on this month's cover, and I'm oh, like, boy. yep, yep, I'm still not into that anymore. Yeah. Um, but the top 20 that came out was the top 20 best punk singers of all time. And you know, of course, when it's a top 20 of all time, it's just ripe for debate. But <laughs> I, wa I wanted to quiz you on the top 20 because four of the top 20 are on the SS tree, okay. which is a pretty, it's probably the strongest representation by a single label in the top 20, which really speaks to SST yet again. But what I want to do, I want to run through the top 16 
I'm going to give you first names only. I want you to give me the last name when I give you the first name. Okay. And and then for the last four, I'm going to leave the SS tree guys or gals for last. And I want to see if you can guess the, the, the ones that made the top 20. All right. Okay. 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 So here we go. Iggy. Pop. Joey. Ramon. Joe. Strummer. Johnny. Uh, Lydon. Yeah. Stiv. Baders. Patty. Patty Smith. Yeah. Polly. Polly. I don't know. Polly Styrene. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was I was thinking like a, a no, dude, no, 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 no. Okay. So next next is Jello. Piafra. Lux. Interior. Chrissy. Hind. Penelope. Uh, Houston. Okay. Rob. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. No, Rob, Rob Tyner. Uh, yeah. Okay. Exine. Cervenka. And John. John Doe. Yep. And then uh, finally, of the 16, probably the hardest, because it's just so vague, Mark. Mark, who would they be, who would they be talking about? Hmm. Oh, Marky e. Smith, maybe. No, Mark Arm. Oh. So it's a, it's obviously a debatable list, but that's mm-hmm. that's sixteen of the twenty. Now here you go. Who are the four from the SS Tree that made their top twenty best punk singers of all time? Brand. Who are the remaining four? Okay. Well, they would have put Henry in there for sure. Yep. Ding. Uh, let's go with. HR. Ding. Okay, who are the other two? Let me see. Uh, well, they wouldn't have... Let me think here. Don't tell me. <laughs> There's so many. Probably Milo. Ring-a-ding-ding. Who's number four? Number four. They didn't put, like, Jay Mascus or somebody like that in there. Nope. Meryl Ward? Nope. <laughs> Uh, it's probably super obvious, right? Is it? Are, do you give up? Yeah, I give up. Why don't you give me two more guesses? Thurston? Nope. Uh, oh, man. Start. Okay. Here, here. I'll give you a slight tip. Just start from SST oh, number. Oh, it's Keith number, Morris. Duh. There you, there you yeah. go. Okay. Yeah. So the four on the tree, Keith, HR, Henry, Milo, out of 20. Obviously a debatable list, but you can't debate those four, right? Yeah. So anyways... Pretty good. Pretty good. I think that's like, you at least got an A. <laughs> okay. At least an A. Yeah. I think, you know, some of them are totally debatable. Uh, some of them are hard, you know, but hey, there you go. I feel like these lists always just go for street cred more than they go for reality. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you see like Chrissy Hind on it, I'm like, she's an amazing vocalist. Yeah. No doubt about it top 20 punk singers of all time i'm not so sure about that yeah and no like ian mckay on the list no no and it it should really be a top 100 you know that's that's really i mean if if you're going to make it have any credibility but i mean that's the point of putting in the top 20 constraint Mm -hmm. because it creates discussion just like this yeah that's the point right yeah right on man what, what, I didn't get the kelp room reference. What are you talking about? <laughs> There's no kelp room. It's a kelpie room. Kelpie the room. first, the first line of Mr. Bass is Mr. Bass lies waiting in his kelpie room. 
We're in our Kelpie rooms this episode, aren't okay. you? Yeah. Should I should I figure something else out? No, it works. Okay. Well, let's do it. History lesson, part one. All right, man. Should I give you a Descendants rundown to bring us up to the Fat EP? Would you mind? I would not. So the Fat EP is the band's second release, but it's our eighth release that we're going to cover by uh, the Descendants on the show. Although we've already covered the Fat EP as part of two releases already. So tell me if I've got this right, Brent. So SST 112 was the all LP with Milo on the show. Go check that one out. SST 142 was Milo Goes to College with Bill Stevenson, as a guest, I should say. And then SST 143, I Don't Want to Grow Up with Bill Stevenson as a guest as well. SST 144 was the bonus fat uh, EP, the first time we've had the fat EP on the show. SST 145 was the Two Things at Once comp, which also has the fat EP on it, where we had Mugger as a guest. SST 163 is the Liveage LP where we had Stephen Edgerton as a guest. SST 205, we just had that one, Hall Raker. And then this is SST 212, the Fat EP, the first release technically, of course, with Milo as the vocalist. We also, though, had a Descendants track on the Chunks compilation, SST 69. And then next week, we will also have them on a comp uh, SST 213, the program Annihilator, and then eventually we'll also see them on Enjoy Summary and the Duck and Cover comp. And I think that's 13 episodes where we've had, or we will have, the Descendants on, which is a pretty good representation. Yeah, for sure, man. Now, this release was originally released on New Alliance as New Alliance 005, NAR 005 in 81, and then, of course, SST re-released it no less than three times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I thought uh, it would be good, though, to go to Craig Abera's awesome book, A Wailing of a Town, and read the press release spiel for the Fat EP. Yeah, I read, a, I read that this week, too. Yeah. Yep. So, um, of course, everyone, if you don't have A Wailing of a Town, an oral history of early San Pedro punk and more, you really got to check that out. There is a New Alliance release rundown in the book that goes through them in chronological order. And of course, New Alliance Records number five, the Fat EP, came out on 7-inch originally. And this is what it said in the New Alliance promo booklet catalog, written by Mike Watt and Martin Tamburovich. Fish Food Punk, Billy Stevenson, Milo Ackerman, Frank Nevetta, and Tony Lombardo bring you real-life problems in a most believable manner. Take, for instance, the opening song, My Dad Sucks. What else can you say? This song says it all. It's the world in a nutshell, the whole enchilada, the bottom line. It scoops it all up into one big pile. I like food and wiener schnitzel, heavily into the foodstuff scene. Mr. Bass really takes your mind out to sea with a tale of the wind, the fish, the waves, and a manly ship manned by a manly crew of manly old salty mates. Hey Hey was written by Tony. Right on. Did I see you holding up a a 12-inch version of this? No, this is just a bonus fat 12-inch that I've got. I I chose, you know, of the three re-releases, which one should I listen to this week? And I thought, why not listen to the 12-inch? Gotcha. 
Um, I don't have the original seven inch. It's like, you know, 400 bucks to get one of those. Yeah. Forget it. But I do have the dead wax off it when we get there. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> That's important. It is. Yeah. Do you want me to hit you with uh, some more literature spiels that I dug out for this episode? Yes, please. Okay. So um, I wanted to go deep into the Mojack archives and get some new stuff on this EP because we've covered it twice before. Let me hit you with these. Um, I'll, I'll just wet your palate with a bit of the trouser press talking about this. So it starts off with uh, kind of the beginning of the descendants, I suppose. It says, in search of the metaphysical all, L.A.'s descendants did their own growing up in public. The group debuted as a young power pop trio on a likable 1979 single, Ride the Wild, and then didn't return to vinyl until 1981 when a four-piece lineup issued a smart, fast, and punky 7-inch fat EP, six fleeting, total time, five minutes and 52 seconds, black flag-like culture statements, like Wiener Schnitzel, I like food, and my dad sucks. And you'll already kind of get the flavor as well um, from some of those quotes about, you know, what was going on with the band with this EP, I rewatched the part of the filmage documentary where Bill's talking about this EP. And he says, um, when it comes to the fat EP, they were just like, they were really into fat and eating. And they were like fat. He says, we were like, we, we were fat people. Like Bill was like, I was like up to 240 and Frank was up to like 190 and went just really into eating. And then he says, I decided to not write normal songs. I like food and wiener schnitzel. I thought that that was the way of the future. Like, yeah, these songs are more cool than normal songs. So they were like totally on this fat and eating trip for this EP. Come to Alfredo's, man. Yeah, well, that's all. They weren't rocking Alfredo's at this point, though. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, I've also got a spiel uh, from this book here, American Hardcore, Tribal History by Stephen Blush. Uh, Pat Howard is actually interviewed in this book, too, by the way. Oh, nice. So check out some Pat Howard quotes in American Hardcore. Um, one thing that I noticed when I was going back and reading through this um, material about this era of the band and about the relationship between the Descendants and L.A. Like they weren't really part of the L.A. scene yet at this point, right? Mm-hmm. They weren't like L.A., L.A. They get lumped in with L.A. in some of the the articles for sure like like we just read in trouser press but i don't think they were part of you know the the la scene that we think of at this time just yet um here's what bill stevenson said in american hardcore our music had a real blue collar element which is what i like about it music made by people that aren't afraid to get their hands dirty and that's not very hollywood Again, kind of distinguishing them from the L.A. Hollywood scene. Here's what else it said. Here's Milo. We started drinking too much coffee. Because of that and the addition of me, the music became very quick and all about bursts of energy. Talking again about, you know, the transition from the Ride the Wild sound to the Fat EP sound. It's interesting. We started very melodic, then moved to hardcore, but melded the two at a certain point and became melodic hardcore. And then uh, the author says, Stephen, Stephen Blush here, after a failed six-month trial with punky girl Cecilia singing, the group hooked up with vocalist Milo Ackerman 
in time to record 81's Fat EP. Descendants weren't out to change the world, as song titles like Wiener Schnitzel and My Dad Sucks suggests. Fat led to 82's Milo Goes to College, whose cheeky love songs disguised as hardcore blast became the most aped formula in rock. Very true there. Yeah, I think they, you know, they played more with the Pedro bands, maybe. Like, if you look at the early posters, like, maybe with the Alley Cats or something. Yeah. But you see them more with Saccharin, Minutemen, Black Flag. That might be an age thing, too. Like, they were they were pretty young. Yeah, with the exception of Tony. But, yeah. but I mean, I, I totally agree with you. And here's, here's another example. So I've got here the Slash Magazine book. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... The, this, the first mention of the Descendants are like in the last 50 pages or so of it. So there are years and issues where the Descendants are not mentioned. This is um, Slash Magazine, Volume 3, Number 4, May 1980. And here's where the Descendants show up in uh, a segment called Local Shit. And it's super small writing. So you have to bear with me as I read this. Tony Bass, Bill Drums... Frank Guitar, Cecilia Singer, from Hermosa Redondo Beach. Frank, we've been together a little over a year. We used to be a trio until we found Cecilia. We also changed personnel a couple of times. There used to be another drummer and bassist. Tony was in a band, The Agitators. I used to be in The Sick, which turned into The Descendants. Hmm. I also used to drum for The Pagan Babies. We tried to be the fastest anti-poser group. I work all day and night as a commercial fisherman, so call it fish punk. I started getting into music when I was in high school with the bass player for the last. We play what we want to in The Descendants. We don't follow trends. We try to kick ass. That's the bottom line. We do it all. And then it says, have a single out on own label, Orca Production Records, Ride the Wild, It's a Hectic World, Other songs are Kabuki, Like the Way I Know, Mr. Bass, Statue of Liberty, Mayage, and Sewage. (laughs) May this that's May nineteen eighty slash magazine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's we're talking, you know, this is right between Ride the Wild and Fat and Milo's not even in yet. Cecilia singing. Crazy, hey? Yeah. They were so far ahead of their times too, man. Like, you know. When you when you look at all the stuff that was about to come out of Orange County and stuff, oh yeah, all right, and I got one more spiel. All right, you ready? Yeah. Okay. This this is from Flipside. This is issue forty eight, February nineteen eighty six. This is an interview by Al Flipside, but it's talking about this era a bit here. Al starts off saying, "It seems to me that the Descendants have gone through a few stages of development." And here's Bill. I'd say there were five stages. Obviously, each day is a new stage, but there were five stages the way I look at it. The first was the trio, the Ride the Wild trio, me, Frank, and Tony. It was more of a heavy power pop thing. It wasn't quite a distorted guitar thing, more like the last. And then Milo says, or surf music. And then Bill says, more, let's have fun with a little harmonies and singing, more acoustic-based songs. Then there was a blurry period where we had various singers Milo surfaces as our actual singer at that point. And then Al says, at that time, you had trouble getting gigs. And then here's Bill. Oh, yeah, Wiener Schnitzel broke us in that sense. 
because that even got airplay on commercial stations because it's so fucking funny. That was the last thing I expected. But once we got Milo and got started, we had a good thing going. Then was like our fat period. We released the fat EP. We were all fat. We were huge boys, except Milo and Tony. Me and Frank were huge. We were into just songs about fishing and food. That was our total punk thing, if you want to call it that. Then came the point where we decided to start practicing a real, real lot and record an album. It will be hot, and it will be the last record with Milo. It will be the document of our fourth stage with Milo, the Milo stage. Milo Goes to College got released late 82. Then there was a dormant stage where I was in flag. I did that, and Milo went to college. Now I quit flag. We're back together, and we put out I Don't Want to Grow Up. There you go. So that's some fat era spielage. And then to round that all out, Brent, shall I hit you with some Spaceman? Yeah. Okay, so of course, (laughs) there is a separate Spaceman spiel about the bonus fat EP, but also about (laughs) the fat EP. And here is the Spaceman, Michael Whitaker's spiel about the fat EP. Truly, the shot heard round the world. This 1981 release continues to remind us of what it's all about. I like food, hey, hey. Wiener Schnitzel, Mr. Bass, and My Dad Sucks. One listen, and you'll know why. Eating is believing. SST 212. 12-inch cassette or 3-inch CD. $6.50. Woo. Mm. So they did put this out on cassette and what did you just say? 12-inch? The catalog says 12-inch cassette and 3-inch CD. Mm. I thought it was only on a 3-inch CD. That's all that I was able to find. Yeah, same here. I mean, it's possible that they just kind of got it mixed up with the bonus fat EP. I don't know why. I don't know why you would put this out, you know, on a three-inch CD. But why? But why not? (laughs) Difficult for me to not see this as a bit of a cash-in. Like SST didn't do a lot in the way of gimmicky releases for collectors. Like, you know, later on they started doing colored vinyl a bit more. I think you know, but around this time they did start releasing these three-inch CDs. Oh yeah. Like some were just re-released on the format, like Nervous Breakdown, for example, but some got their own catalog number, like this one. Or, you know, we're gonna see some other ones that that's the only format it's even available on. Yeah, like uh, Brian Ritchie or Henry Kaiser, right? Uh well you're talking nuclear war? No, the Sun Raw yeah. EP. I think that's only on three inch CD. I could be wrong. Wait, I I shouldn't, I shouldn't spoil the podcast. I don't want, I want people to stay with us. While nuclear war did come out on three inch CD. I think that's the first one we've seen. Um, you know, I don't know, like maybe a little bit easier to play back in the day when people were maybe rocking disc mans or something. (laughs) I don't know. A three inch CD. Yeah. Well, you can't put it in your, well, strike that. I was going to say, you can't put it in your car like as, as like a front load feeder or, yeah. or on like the side of your laptop. I would never, ever, ever put it in the side of your laptop, but there is a three inch CD adapter. I have a few of them and I use them for my three inch CDs. Yeah. Well, I was looking at my CD player and it has a specific space to put them. There's a ring, right? Yeah. 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 I know what you mean. Yeah. Like a deeper circular indentation <laughs> for the mini CDs to fit into. <laughs> Why is that your funny? your three your three inch CD tray description is off the charts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. Sometime, you know, around this time, you see, started seeing more cassette singles. Like, you know. Uh, Brant, they're called cassingles. Are they actually called that? They're actually called cassingles. Okay. I don't know. I always saw these SST mini CDs as pure novelty. I remember seeing them around in the 90s a lot. Oh, yeah. I would never intentionally buy one if for it to be the sole format that I would own the music on. No way. Yeah. Do you think anybody actually played them or were they just for, were they just cool? Oh, I think people actually, hey, look, I have had to play three inch CDs for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay. To check, check stuff out. Of course. All right. Well, let's completely shift gears here, Ryan, and let's, let's do this Pat Hoed thing. So like oh, I yeah. said, like I said, you know, uh, really has nothing to do with Descendants. I'm sure I could have asked him about Descendants. The guy knows everything about every, you know, aspect of, of music for sure. Former SST employee, uh, musician, radio personality. We cover most of it off in the interview, so so I won't go too deep into, into Pat's history. We pretty much lay it all out. So uh, let's get over to Pat, Ryan. Yeah. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Pat Hoed. Pat, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. All right, Heard a lot about you guys. Oh, <laughs> that's good. I hopefully, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I want to go back a ways. Uh, are you? Were you a Torrance guy, or where? Where did you grow up? Actually, I grew up in in. Uh, to make it simple, I guess the Hollywood area, the East Hollywood area. Mm-hmm. To be specific, it's a. Uh, part of LA called La Los Feliz, uh, or, you know, you'll hear it pronounced Los Feliz. That's where I grew up, uh, about, you know, 40 minutes north of Torrance on the, uh, you get the 110 freeway, you know, from, from Pedro, Torrance, Long Beach, you know, you go all, you know, about 40 minutes north and you'll, you'll find me. It's probably gotten worse now with with the, the traffic conditions. Uh, what year would you have been in, like, say, grade twelve? What year did you graduate high school? I graduated high school in uh, nineteen eighty one. Okay, so hardcore was already cooking by that so point. In, in in full bloom. Yeah, yeah, full bloom. Now, uh, when did you get into punk rock? Uh, I would say. Uh, 1978-ish, I remember seeing uh, Devo on Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. That was more or less the first exposure to something that wasn't uh, Van Halen or, uh, you know, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. And it still had that kind of, you know, guitar edge, but it was way out of left field and it was just so you know it was captivating and and right around that time they were also showing these like little clips or little vignettes on these these nighttime variety shows of the new the new movement in england you know punk rock and so they should have clips of the sex pistols and you know they'd have a couple seconds of it and there was just enough power cord in the in the uh, in the song that you go wow okay so I, I I think I could check that out and so that that was pretty much the first exposure and then from that that led on to uh, tuning into Rodney on the Rock mm-hmm. 
uh, every Sunday on uh, K-Rock 106.7, which was the big uh, alternative uh, rock station in, in Los Angeles at the time. Right. Those that 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 that's pretty much right there. That's where where it started. Yeah, it's funny. I don't think Devo gets enough credit for being an entry point for a lot of people. And people, I I for I think forget like they were really connected, even connected to skateboard culture back then. And I, f- I feel like they were an entry point for a lot of people. Yeah, it it uh, like I said, uh, you know, it, it it didn't have that that the ferocity of a of a Sex Pistols or the urgency of a Ramones. But it, it uh, there was something about about it that if you if your mind was open enough, it would draw you right in. And uh, about like yeah, I remember maybe you know I don't know how much longer the 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 first the Are We Not Men album came came out after that appearance, but I remember riding the bus down to the Music Plus, paying three ninety nine for. <laughs> For that album and and uh I still have a copy to this day so it's it's uh yeah they you're absolutely right they don't they don't get the credit yeah. as a uh as a as a ma- an initial magnet mm-hmm. shall we say yeah okay <laughs> yeah. so what about you playing an instrument did you start on bass i i actually started playing piano around the age of six uh my mother being the classical she was really into classical music and uh so she wanted us me and my younger brother she got us taking piano lessons and that lasted about 10 years uh till i was you know yeah 16 and and you know as we're saying punk rock was uh just just taken off and I, I was uh, I went to high school with Bill Gould, who's the bass player in Faith No More. Yep. We're in the same class, him and Roddy Bottom, who's oh. also the, the keyboard player for Faith No More, and, and uh, uh, he's he's the one that really got me into uh, actually playing. You know, I was always apprehensive about picking up a guitar, but Bill Bill was the one that that kind of pushed me over the edge, and there was a cheap k bass laying around that nobody was playing he says here take this home so i started messing around with that and you know i had already had the the kind of the ear training and mm-hmm. the 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 musical theory stuff from piano lessons so it was just a matter of of spending time with the bass and and after you know after about a year or so i i got fairly proficient at it you know self-taught I, I spent a lot of time on it so uh and then yeah i i didn't start playing in in any kind of real organized situation until high you know senior year in high school with bill gould we had this this band called the degenerates and uh <laughs> it was just cover songs you know we did doa i want some bondage nice. and uh a couple of heartbreakers songs uh you know uh you know like get off the phone and stuff that's real easy to play born to lose yeah and uh and then you know i can't remember what song we played but it was like the the cue for all the our our, our friends to start uh, start up a, a pit 
and uh or you know the 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 slam the slam pit yeah and uh as soon as that started the principal pulled the plug and the gig was over this this was actually in the on campus the senior mm-hmm. yard our one and only uh concert <laughs> one and done so for the degenerates that that, that that was it yeah. one and done and and uh after that you know it was just still just playing and and still playing and, and trying to get better on bass and and uh i soon hooked up with uh steve schellenbach who's the older brother of kurt schellenbach uh from nip drivers mm-hmm. and uh we started a band called quest for taco uh great name (laughs) great great name uh and uh that that you know opened my eyes really you know as to how a band operates in in terms of you know the sum being greater than the parts and and you know the push and pull and you know, give this guy some space. That's where all that kind of kind of came into play. And not too long after that, uh, Kurt, who's Steve's younger brother, approached me about uh, playing bass and nip drivers. And and I, uh, you know, thought, wow, this that's you know, great opportunity to play, actually play in front of people. So. Yeah. I jumped on that immediately and, you know, off to the races with that. Obviously, you were in the band in time for the full length, Oh Blessed Freak Show. Right, right. I didn't play on uh, Destroy Whitey. That is uh, Janice Jones, who is also uh, uh, played in a band called The Disposals, along with Janet Housden from Red Cross and Jeannie, Jeannie Brooks. Uh, that was a cool, a cool three piece of disposals. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I got in just in time for the, uh, for the full length that was, uh, released, uh, per, uh well, Ron Gowdy, Bemis Brain yeah. and Enigma. Yeah. And, and also that was a great experience cause I got to, uh, be in the studio with Ethan James. He he was the engineer for that Radio Tokyo. Uh, we were all, you know, the whole band was huge. We were huge double nickels on the Dime fans. So uh, just being in that same studio with the same engineer, we were for sure uh, on top of the on top of the world for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, tell me about some memorable Nip Driver shows that you you played, like with other bands that you played with during that era? Um, uh, we, we played uh, this great show out in the desert uh, with uh, uh, Psycom, mm-hmm. which uh, the, the singers of Perry Farrell, yeah. and uh, who later went on to form, uh, of course, Jane's Addiction. And uh, that was uh, quite, quite a show because people were... Uh, cooking up hamburgers and slipping in uh uh, uh mushrooms oh, yeah. psilocybin mushrooms as part of the burger so you know i happen to have one of those burgers and uh it was uh, not knowing that uh-huh. it contained uh and uh but soon enough i was alerted and then you know the 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 the, the bummer turned into uh uh, something really cool that 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 was a great show 
That sounds I think like Flea, a sounds like a Dave Travis show, maybe. It it uh, I don't think it was Dave Travis, but uh, are do you know Julia Bell from yep. Bulimia Banquet? Uh, I think it was something. I think it might have been a you know a family members of hers property. It was uh, it was out in I don't know if it was up at Lancaster, out the you know Victorville. You know, it's 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 hard to remember, but it was definitely like a you know a big desert style right. uh, type of show. And that was great. Uh, well, what else? You were saying um, something about Flea when I cut you off there. Oh well, the, no, there was a there was. I remember that like by the time I was fully in, immersed in the uh, mushroom experience, there was a big jam going on with with flea and i think uh perry was involved it's just this whole big jam and i was just you know <laughs> uh just to get taking it all in uh but that yeah that was a a really cool gig the 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 first show i played with nip drivers was a a total experience too that was uh uh put on by you know the name mike shepherd the early shows like Sonic Youth when they played outside on the got what was that, on Traction Street in downtown LA. Uh, he was, you know, he was just an integral guy at that time. He put out a lot of these CDs with uh, with uh, like prank calls and okay. and uh, just you know, he's it, sadly he's passed away, but uh, really interesting guy and. Him along with uh, uh, Jack Skelly from from Lawndale, yep. uh, they they I think they had a magazine Barney. It was called Barney. It's kind of an art magazine, and and that uh, was a, a party for their magazine. And that was the first first Nip Driver show that I played with. And Mike Mike Weber just sat down in the lotus position and started rolling a joint in front of a couple hundred people. <laughs> just rolled the joint you know finished rolling it lit it you know passed it around to us a couple of times you know put it out nick counted off and it was blast off and and uh to this day i always think that was the best show i ever played the first show i played with them was the best show i ever did with with that band (laughs) believe it or not Okay. So, uh, I, good I, memories, I, despite the uh, politically incorrect uh, name. Yeah. Well, you know, not the only band from that era for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I I've wanted to see the movie Echo Park ever since I read about it in this Destroy oh, All man. Movies book, and wow. it sounds outrageous. Uh, quite the cast. Were you? I've never been able to find it though. Were you? I know the Nip Drivers I, were in it. Were you in the band? When- yeah, I was in the band. I was there that night. Uh, I just remember just uh, just interminably long <laughs> waiting around for you know the setting up of shots. Uh, if if you're not you know if you're not a star and you don't have a trailer, you know we just stood around you know for <laughs> hours on end, and finally when they. They, they finally started shooting. I couldn't believe that Susan Day is maybe 15 feet away from us, taking off her, her, her clothes 
you know what's uh, the what's the premise in this movie what what role do the you know I, play? I i to be honest with you i've never even seen the movie <laughs> uh i have not watched it i think i i think it was on once i was at a party and it was on cable once and and i and i mentioned oh yeah we're we're in that movie and i think my my experience of just sitting around and being treated like uh secondhand uh talent was uh enough for me not to <laughs> soured you on the whole thing <laughs> yeah to be interested after yeah. all these years you know had i you know been smart enough i'd i'd have taped it because you know it's it was playing back in those days you could catch it on cable you know every every three or four months or so right. but uh like you say now yeah i i'm assuming it's not on youtube i have right? checked yeah there, you can watch a trailer for it but that's about all you can get wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i remember the the cake you know i guess there was a uh, the scene we were playing it was like a, a birthday cake and it was from a, a porn store, you know, so it was a real graphic uh, uh, butt butt cake, <laughs> you know, where the, the, the candle was in the most right. obvious of, of places. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but if I, if I ever track it down or, you know, who knows, Dave Travis might have a copy of that on uh, VHS somewhere. Yeah. I'll 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 do some hunting around. For oh you. man, that would be great. Yeah. Let's see what I can come up with. <laughs> okay, so uh, I think you skipped over something uh, in your musical evolution pre Nip oh, Drivers. Yeah. I need to know about Los Luis. Am I saying that right? Oh, Los Luis. Yeah. You know that's funny. You just uh, uh, that that was uh, me and my best friend from high school, Lou, Lou Silva. Uh, we basically, uh, you know, like a lot of people at the time, seeing, you know, being Minutemen fans, you get inspired. You know, Watt always said it to, you know, start your own band, do your own thing. And that's that's what we did. One, you know, this was, uh, we were, were maybe 17, you know, it's kind of like a wing thing. It was just yeah. me and him in a, in a bedroom with a tape recorder. And I think we you know, found some, some, uh, some Mogan David, uh, like a half bottle of Mogan David wine in, in our parents, uh, in my parents cellar. And so we got a little bit of inspiration from that and, uh, started wailing away and came up with like a half hour's worth of, of songs on this tape, just totally improvising. And, uh, it sort of became legendary within within our our little high school circle, and uh, you know, years later, Watt, uh, Mike Watt, was doing the feeble efforts yeah. for New Alliance Records, and he said, uh, "Hey, you got you got that that tape? I'm doing a comp a compilation with cassette only, you know, stuff. So let me have that tape." So we gave it to him, <laughs> and. Uh, he put social conspiracy on there and funny you mentioned that we just started messing around and that's in the same sort of uh configuration just with a laptop <laughs> now <laughs> and 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 have come up with some some fairly 
crazy stuff that matches what we were doing back oh. then. So it may be the, you know, everybody's coming back. So we might as well Better. reissue this, reissue that. Might as well do it ourselves, right? Better throw that up on Bandcamp or something. That exa- exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's another thing you'll be, uh, you write these down here. Uh, <laughs> Stuff to <Louis>. send me. <laughs> Los Luis and Echo Park. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Your radio show, I yes. ran for a long time, if I'm right, 83 to 1990. That is insane. Yeah. And uh, th- thanks to, you know, it's, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's the, the station on the campus of Loyola Marymount University. It's called the KXLU. Yeah, we've uh, we've heard about you know Splat Winger a number of times on the show and right. Do you know Do you know who Stella is? Mm, I don't think so. She has a show called Stray Pop, uh, and you think my show ran for what? Her show's been going thirty years oh, plus. Wow, thirty years. I you know so I don't know exactly how many. Might be you know going on thirty five. She's the queen. She's the queen of KXLU. But uh, that, that you know, when I was there, you, it was a, a student-run station. Unlike now, at the time, you had to, to be a student to, to be involved. So mm-hmm. uh, I took advantage of that. They had an AM station that only went out to the, uh, to the campus and maybe a few blocks off campus if you were lucky. Uh, and then they had an FM station uh, that got, you know, to a surprisingly large portion of the city. Uh, so I, I got involved with the AM thing, did my my AM uh, boot camp duty there, and then found a spot on FM and eventually landed a, a specialty show uh, called The Final Countdown. That's I guess that's what I'm most known for. Yeah hosting it under the guise of uh, Adam Baum, DJ Adam Baum, the final countdown. And uh, that uh, honestly is is where I met a lot of the uh, people that I would form friendships and relationship, relationships with that would, you know, uh, endure into the future. And, uh, you know, that's where I met Chuck Dukowski, Earl Liberty, Keith Morris, uh, all kinds of people from the South Bay and the, and the SST scene. So I'm, I'm very grateful for, for my time there. It was, like I said, it was, it was uh, the, the reach of the station was uh, amazingly wide. You know, you, you, you reach a large part of, of the LA basin and, you know, then you'd get these freak signal paths you know all the way to places like uh, victorville you'd get uh calls from victorville which is way out you know out uh towards you know it's out towards the desert yeah kxou is a great experience and uh wouldn't trade it for the world that was you know there's there's youtube uh you look up youtube final countdown there's uh beastie boys i had the beastie boys on Oh wow! Uh, right, <laughs> right before, uh, r- right before license to ill. Mm. When they were, this was when they were on tour with Madonna. That's how I got to meet Rick Rubin. You know that we could talk about that later. But I ended up working for Rick at oh. Deaf American. Uh, 
you know, that was after SST. Uh, in fact, that's that's what led me to to leave SST. But that's, you know, like I said, we can talk about that a little later. Mm-hmm. But KXLU was great. It was, it, was, it was at the time it was the place to be, and you know, we were at the time I was there. You know, the 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 whole uh, it was ramping up, getting a lot of attention, and seen as the the rival to K Rock. You know, right. giving K Rock a run for its money. You know, we always say, yeah, they're listening to us for their next hit. So (laughs) you mentioned that you met Chuck there. Is that, how did you end up working for SST? Well, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I met Chuck through, uh, well, when he was the leader of SWA Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I had, I had Swan as guests on the show a couple of times. So I got to know him. I also had, St. Vitus on, uh, and one of the early, early guests on the final countdown were the publishers and the proprietors of We Got Power mm-hmm. uh, fanzine, Dave Markey, uh, Jennifer Schwartz, and her brother, her brother the, the great Jordan Schwartz. Yep. And I got to be, I got to be very good friends with Jordan. Thanks to him, he's He's one. He's another one that uh, opened the door. Gosh, excuse that ringing in the background. No There's no way I can kill it. But um, yeah, so I met Jordan and, and Dave and Jennifer, and so they became regular guests on on the show. They would they would bring you know because they had access to all the cool records and you know help me to get book guests on the show got people like circle one and you know kind of a connection to the whole west west side scene that i didn't didn't really have after as the show progressed as the show evolved it went from being you know like starting as a as a hardcore uh mainly hardcore punk show and it evolved to uh you know the 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 metal thing you know the thrash the crossover thing and it I know it disappointed a lot of fans, but it also that the show also gained yeah. uh, gained a lot of fans. So I think uh, Jordan and Chuck and Greg and other people at SST uh, thought, "Hey, we can we can use this guy to help us promote, you know, some of these bands that that were trying to get over to this to this new crowd." that that aren't particularly familiar with you know the old sst punk rock or black flag or anything for that matter and and the two releases specifically were uh saint vitus born too late and uh blast it's in my blood which you probably see behind me now but uh i I was basically hired specifically at the time to to promote those two records those two bands to the uh the burgeoning new shall we say uh yeah i don't know saying you know the punk metal seems awkward just you know the new the new wave of listener that that was uh you know being turned on to this new kind of music so it was a it was a bit of an uphill battle at first but you know, once 
once you find a couple of those uh, journalists that that are willing to take the gamble and and for example, a guy like Monty Connor, I don't know if you know who he is. He's basically the head of Nuclear Blast okay. uh, Records, but he also ran Roadrunner Records. And uh, at the time, he was a freelance metal writer, journalist, and and he was really into Vitus. Took the chance, pissed all the the editors that that would you know listen to this like very sludge like music, and and you know when they're used to you know, and we're talking about ma- magazines like Metal Edge, right. you know, and Rip, and so things th- th- like those that. magazines aren't even like maybe covering Metallica and Megadeth, but mostly like Bon Jovi and probably right. and Rat and you stuff know, like and, that, right? and Rat and yeah. Motley Crue and yeah. yeah. So, so, and thanks to guy, you know, uh, uh, Monty Connor, Stefan Shirazi, uh, Don Kay, uh, writers like that who, who would, you know, go out on a limb and, and, uh, you know, write about stuff like saint vitus blast another story that 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 was <laughs> that was a tough sell although eventually they you know it took a lot longer but they got kind of welcomed into that whole scene a good example of that they they had um a record reissued you know like it's about 10 years old now but mixed by dave grohl yeah you know they, they're uh, almost now lumped in with like the desert scene or something. I feel right. Like. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's the, that's, that's a good, good for pointing that out. Yeah, absolutely. But back then, I mean, what the era you're talking about is the height of the Bay, the Bay area thrash is probably right. really popular. Right. You've got right. all the, you know, the, the punk bands that are crossing over like COC mm-hmm. or DRI, both of those right. bands, Blast and Vitus in particular, to me are. It must you must have had a, you must have had a tough job. It was it was an up it was uphill and uh, but I you know I just kept my nose to the grindstone and and you know sure enough and and Europe helped a lot too yeah you know thank God they they you know let me make all the calls to Europe that I needed because. Uh, and uh you know the ship with the shipping too, send promos out yeah. uh europe helped out a lot too i believe but the it thing because, about you know you've got i don't know i i feel like europe is probably followed trends a little bit less maybe right and, and especially with vitus europe loves vitus yeah they love vitus and and uh that was that was evident because they they had been going actually touring there you know quite a bit so they they knew they knew where their bread was buttered but over here it was it was man it was an uphill sludge and and blast you know amongst the 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 punk kids a lot of them they just thought they were a second rate black flag imitation Mm -hmm. you know particularly with the first album you know with the power of expression yeah. which SST also did go on to, to reissue as well. But, uh, I, but I feel, you're right. I that, feel like both bands have gotten their due now. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, Wino uh, had uh, 
bad incident happen at uh, I think it was uh, I can't remember what Scandinavian country at the border there. Uh, some issue with customs and illegal substances and oh here recently uh this happened uh several years ago mm. but uh they were on a roll mm -hmm. they were on a roll man and after that things just kind of fell apart i think they still they still play i don't know if if Riegers is back um he was they they did an album with him a few years ago that was pretty pretty excellent yeah yeah. But uh and in terms of uh touring now, I'm I'm not too sure. I'd love to see him. They're they're always great. And the drummer that replaced Armando, rest in peace, is is great. I mm -hmm. believe his name is Henry. Yep, that sounds right. Yep. Vasquez. Yeah. Maybe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So how long were you at ST SST for? Were you like were you spending time at you know global and at sst or were you kind of just working independently no i i, I would uh i was at sst from i would say uh 86 to yeah like mid 1986 to mid to late 1988 mm -hmm. and uh you know, going into the office every day down in the long, it was Long Beach on the Long Beach Compton border. Yeah, so we were in the in the office every day, and and Global, basically Global and SST shared the same the same office space. So Jordan, you need anything from Jordan, you just walk over. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and uh, after you know, eventually my. Uh, responsibilities at SST grew uh, to the point where I was doing uh, promo for tours. So the, the, the daily press, so I, you know, calling the, uh, your daily, daily papers for advances on the shows and offering them right. interviews and things. And it was great. Cause I, I had to do a couple of meat puppets tours and, Talking to Chris on the phone every day was 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 great, man. <laughs> it was great every day. That was the the part of the day I looked forward to, you know. Especially if it was a crappy day, oh, I get to talk to Chris and let all the shit out. So, you know, it's cool. But you know, I have like really fond memories of of working in the, at that time because you know I I was working those two specific releases, but I remember all the other stuff that had just come out or was coming out at the time and uh the the records that really stick out in my mind were of course the uh the screaming trees even if and especially when oh yeah and the dinosaur you're living all over me before they had to put the junior on it yeah and god what else uh there was the sound garden record uh ultra mega okay that they had me try and work to not just the you know the specialized punk metal radio but they they said hey hit the you know hit the major stations with this right yeah. so i was looking at the stations that were 
like, okay, where's Jane's addiction doing, doing well. Uh, so I'd hit them up and see if they play Soundgarden, ultra mega. Okay. Oh my God, man. And they, nobody wanted it to do anything, nothing to do with that record. <laughs> That's so, so insane yeah, to hear now. Right? It is. It is. Yeah. And, and, uh, when uh, louder than love came out is that the 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 a&m record and that blew up i was just like man this is just i mean granted that the production on ultra mega okay i thought was a little thin but uh it still had great songs yeah so you know i guess it's all timing right all about that timing yeah <laughs> so you mentioned earlier I'm curious now. So did Rick Rubin poach you from SST or how did that happen? I don't know if, if poach is the right word, but, uh, again, this was through the radio show. I was still doing the radio show during my whole tenure at SST. I was still doing the show. And, uh, like I said, you know, and you mentioned earlier, the whole Bay area cross crossover thrash, scene was happening and and i was getting tapes from all over the world europe japan and uh, with bands of that nature so i was you know becoming uh known as 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 the la person for this kind of music and i can't remember where i met oh you know where i met rick was at the at the con um concrete marketing they used to have, uh, they were the managers of Pantera. Mm. Uh, and uh, this would be around, you know, 88, 89. Uh, and they used to have these big conventions at the Sheraton Universal in, in the Valley, uh, Universal City. These big, huge conventions, drunken weekend affairs. And uh, I went representing SST and went to a party that Rick Rubin had uh, thrown to announce the, you know, the to you know the inauguration of of Deaf American Records, and he had Wolfsbane playing, wow. and they they had the Andrew Dice Clay record playing on a loop, on the PA, and uh, he he had sprung for like. 150 cheeseburgers from this place called Tommy's here in LA. It's a, it's a, like the classic chili cheeseburger. I hope and Perry Farrell wasn't there. No, <laughs> no, the, 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 no, he nowhere to be seen. But uh, you know, these Tommy's cheeseburgers were all laid out on the table, and and uh, and there was Rick. So I, you know, approached Rick, and we're talking, and you know. I mentioned Slayer and we're bonded over Slayer. I also mentioned the band Trouble. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I asked him if he wanted to come on my radio show and he said, sure. So, you know, one thing leads to another. I'm talking to him on the, on the phone every couple of days. And uh, one day he just asked, Hey, do you want to, you want to come work for me? You know, at this new company I'm starting. Yeah. And, yeah yeah i'm in i'm in okay. and i remember the day i had i went into uh to greg and and chuck and told him i was leaving man i was i was <laughs> i was crying like a baby but i told him hey i gotta do it 
got to do it, man. Yeah. You know, onward and upward. And they understood. They knew, you know, they knew the drill. Yeah. So. Well, I feel yeah, like yeah. not only was SST, a, you know, a, in a lot of ways, a farm label for bands. Also, a lot of people that worked there went on to, you know, to work right. for bigger companies in the industry. Yes, absolutely. The great Brian Long. Yep. Ray Farrell. Um, Ray Farrell. All kinds of, yeah. Yeah, that place Steve was Call. Uh, Steve Call. Yeah. Uh, Carducci. Yep. Mugger. Yep, for sure. Yeah, Mugger's Mugger's gone on no to slouch there. Fame, <laughs> fame and fortune. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean you know, and uh, I also like part of my I think part of the reason I was leaving I think the the, the catalog was was it was kind of getting too crazy. There was releases coming out every you know one every two weeks <laughs> and a lot of the stuff was uh you know kind of out of my reach of uh of, pro of out of my pro promotional sphere shall we say well not Where only can, that I've, I've heard this notion and i can believe it that you know it was impossible to even promote it just because of the quantity it was it was too it was too much yeah it was too much and and i love elliot sharp but uh, I mean, literally there was like, you know, there was one month or a couple, a period of two or three months where there was maybe like six Elliot Sharp records <laughs> or, or some very, you know, carbon, yeah, yeah. various, various, uh, and, yeah. incarnations of, of yeah. Elliot Sharp combos. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was, too, you couldn't keep it straight on the phone. Yeah. So and you know that and the chance for me it was like the chance to work with uh a band like slayer who i really had uh a lot of respect for and uh, knew those guys as well and trouble mm -hmm. you know i was a huge fan of trouble so to be able to work with those guys and how good uh, is that it, is that self-titled record too that that they put out? oh man that's that's it's the, the yeah it's, it's classic it's and probably I remember, their best record actually yeah, yeah i i it's that's be hard to argue with that um and uh the cool part about that was going to the rehearsals at the cole rehearsal over here in in hollywood uh for those songs and hearing those songs kind of take shape mm, yeah. um also got to uh i didn't get to see the recording but got to you know, be there for some of the mixing of the Masters of Reality album. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Another really good one. The, they the, were the, really. Uh, the, oh God, I love that that record. That you know, I mean, people. I don't know it's self titled or I call it the Blue Garden because yeah. uh, of the cover. But uh, even those Wolf Spain uh, records are really good. The, the Wolf Spain. I mean, it's hard to get over the drum machine. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, the album is great. You know money to burn yep it's cat you know catchy that guitar player is great i forget his name uh blaze bailey was went on to iron maiden, maiden. yep <laughs> yeah i actually just so, picked up eric wagner's uh posthumous solo album that's, oh rest that's in really peace something. yeah that's yeah. good i that haven't is, heard yeah, it i like it yeah 
Wow. Does he have the guys from uh, The Skull playing? I don't think or... so. I didn't really check the credits too closely okay. with The Skull, but yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's a shame what happened to him, man. But, yeah. you know, hey, you know, got to get on it. Yep. Got to be aware of, of, it's true. of, of what's up and yeah. reality versus non-reality. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, rest in peace, Eric. He was good, you know. We did a, a a tour, a press tour for first that Trouble record, and it was Eric and uh, Rick Wartell. God, well, he, what a great guy, Rick. And uh, we had a blast, man. We went to see uh, Ace Freely at the Ritz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were just tooling around New York City. It was great, great time with those guys. Yeah. You know, yeah, I thought they'd be, you know, because of the whole – their whole message, you know, the, right, the yeah. kind of the Christ, Christian lyrics. I thought they'd be real low key, but no, no the total opposite. <laughs> we had a rip roaring time. Yeah. It was just like Vitus, hey? right? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Funny how that Dave's worked out great, for you. Man. <laughs> Dave's great. Dave's yeah. chant. Dave, huge. We we share. Uh, we're both big wrestling fans, so mm -hmm. pro wrestling. Okay, well, yeah. you you brought it up, so uh, let's talk about yeah, let's talk about Larry Rivera. Okay, <laughs> uh, I you know I've I've been a wrestling fan since uh, I'd say nineteen seventy nineteen seventy one. Seeing you know Fred Blassie on TV, John Tolis here in the Los Angeles area, and uh, there was uh, there was also a cat named Victor Rivera from puerto rico famous famous puerto rican wrestler and he would uh you get on tv to do the inter you know the locker room interviews yeah. and in you know even though it was a, a a predominantly spanish audience watching this show uh he insisted on uh doing the the interviews in english in a yeah. very thick you know broken accent uh uh style so that always stuck with me as a kid and and as i grew up i said you know uh i want to get into this business but i i can't take bumps you know i'm injury prone let me see if i can do the announcing thing and uh invented this character uh victor rivera's long lost cousin <laughs> larry rivera and i uh, approached some of the guys at xpw with it and they said let's let's roll with it and uh it it, it kind of became a semi-sensation mini sensation shall we say <laughs> okay i have to ask because we're talking about yeah. wrestling and sst did you ever get to bond with zoog's rift over wrestling oh yeah oh that i turned on i turned zoog's on to the to the dave Meltzer's wrestling observer same with uh, rick rubin oh yeah Oh, he's a wrestling fan too. That's right. Uh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. He, in fact, yeah. he, uh, he, he, he bankrolled uh, Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I remember turning Rick Rubin and Zoogs on to the uh, to the Wrestling Observer, uh, the great the great Dave Meltzer, and uh, uh, and then after you know after a while I, I got to trading tapes with Zoogs. Uh, he's also he's departed right he left yeah, us yeah 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 uh the liquid moamo that's right yeah 
he got he got involved i think he eventually he did got yeah. in the biz too right and yeah. doing some managing uh yeah i can't was, remember what promotion he was in but yeah might have been with uwf with uh with herb abrams i think that actually sounds right yeah possibly yeah yeah, yeah. that guy that went out the deep and you see the dark side of the ring about that guy i've seen some of them but it, i'm not sure if i've seen that one <laughs> It must you be one of the newer you, ones, maybe. Oh, is he the? Uh, he's got a drug problem. The 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 cocaine cowboy yep. boots. I have seen yeah. that one. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> Boy, what <Yeah>. a. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, and uh, there was a, re- a lot of recent interest too, because uh, it, with the whole Larry Rivera XPW thing, because there was uh, a dark side of the ring on XPW. Mm, okay i don't know if you saw that but I they no. they basically covered the the seedier aspects of the you know basically because it was run by a, a porno yeah. a porno kingpin yeah no i haven't uh, seen the new season of that but i have to get on it i love the first you, one. you should check it out yeah your your fellow countrymen there yeah. okay now i have you know? now i have something to get on here yeah yeah now i'm starting <laughs> a list <laughs> yeah. yeah all right right Okay, and you're still uh, playing music too uh, during this era. Uh, you, how did you get involved with Down by Law? Um, let's see. Okay, so that was uh, I. I was uh, playing with Jamie Pina, mm-hmm. who was uh, chemical the chemical people. chemical people guitar player, yeah. and he put a band together uh, called Punk Rock Vatos. And uh, V-A-T-O-S for the non-Californians out there. That's basically, the you know, like uh, like a Hispanic slang term for, you know, like a, a street guy. Badass. Or, you know, <laughs> like a badass. Yeah, exactly. So it was uh, Jamie, Jamie Pina, PRV13, Punk Rock Vatos. And... Uh, uh it was uh myself jamie and uh another chemical people alumni uh, dave naz mm-hmm. uh played drums and if you get that first cd that's that's the lineup on there with uh guitar leads by the great great rick agnew mm-hmm. uh, and so you know again that was just kind of like just hanging around hanging around the circle of uh, people there. Dave Naz had a cool backyard with the, you know, rehearsal pad and then a back, a basketball court, like a full a mini full length basketball court. So we'd play a lot of games there and I just make friends with the guys in Red Cross, you know, Robert Hecker, Robert Hecker, the greatest barefoot basketball player that ever <laughs> lived, you know, then would start, you know, just hanging out with the other guys. And one day, Dave, I think Dave Naz and Jamie both were like, hey, uh, I think Down by Law needs a bass player. I said, well, can you guys hook me up? Because they practice at, at Dave Naz's place as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing led to another. And, you know, I went and tried out a couple times and got the call back, got the gig, did about uh, three tours with those guys. The best ones being with all, yeah, on the breaking things, uh, oh, yeah. breaking things tour. That, that was that was great. That was such a learning experience. 
Dave uh, must have sat in with all at least a few times. On he, that, that, yeah, yeah. There was a couple. Uh, absolutely, yeah. They would. Uh, what's the song? What's his song? Just perfect. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so he'd come out and sing that. Yeah, those those all. You know, you would think it's not the Descendants uh, at all, but man, they those shows drew just as almost just as good as the Descendants shows drew. Yeah, you know, I want to think that that is a a misconception about all is that they, you know, they they somehow were in too far in the shadow of the Descendants to be successful. I mean, if you like, again, if it's if if you went in there with an open mind, you it it would it didn't take long to realize these are are great songs. Yeah, they play just as just as just as hard just as intense and uh chad price man great yeah. great singer yeah you know and all the other guys they had yeah. uh um, um spacing on uh scott yeah. Yeah. yeah great all those guys yeah, yeah. okay i want to ask about some of your other bands you probably know which band i'm going to ask about next <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> And Start I, with a B. Yeah, and I think and I, with a B. No. I think I know how you got into it too, because you mentioned Billy, Billy Gold earlier in the show. So I was wondering how or how the band formed. I think you you you, um, you, well, you uh, helped form the band. If I, if yeah, I have it right. uh, co co founder. Uh, I'm a co founder. Basically, the uh, the the current head and lead singer. The, the 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 ubiquitous Juan Brujo uh, was another member of our high school class mm. here, which I might add is a all boys Catholic Jesuit uh, institution in downtown Los Angeles. You know, we we spent a, a lot of time hanging around these backyard parties during the the, the late you know, the late eighties around that time of, uh, you know, when I was at deaf American and, uh, a lot of backyard parties with the, the death metal bands and, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of Hispanic kids, you know, there's, there's kids coming over the border, man, and yeah. they're, and they're forming bands. <laughs> so they had these bands playing and, and I would notice particularly one band who I don't want to mention, um, but the, the the singer would it's almost like uh victor rivera you know he, he insisted on speaking to the crowd in english with the a super heavy accent you know yeah. to the point where you could barely understand what he was saying and I, I i was saying to john why doesn't he just talk these people half these people here they understand would understand if he spoke right. spanish why doesn't he just speak spanish you know, and and uh, at that point, you know, the light bulb kind of went off and we both went back home and, you know, kind of back to the laboratory and started coming up with these these lyrics, you know, these little lyrical models and and and, you know, concepts of what this song should be, you know, how long should it be all this almost micro micro kind of managing stuff but we came up with the concept of, of brujeria and uh got uh billy involved and also a dino Cazares, who's uh now you know part of uh, fear factory yeah. 
and I believe he's in uh, Soulfly, touring with Soulfly right now. But he was involved, uh, and uh, I, I, I got, I, you know, got behind the drum kit for the first time ever. So on the first EP, that's that's me on the drums, and we just put put it together, and you know, like almost all all good things, you know, that that grow, it's done almost with an unintentional. Right. Uh, purpose just you know just to do it and for the sheer fun of it you know and for the bit i mean i remember laughing i never laughed so much in my life and you you hear you know the, the record and it's like sounds so ominous and and you know the cookie monster but you, if you saw the amount of laughter that went on while we were making that that ep it would blow your mind but that's so that's kind of how it came to be. And uh, I uh, I'm no longer a touring member, but uh, I'm still involved in in, you know, writing and recording production and stuff like that. So okay. they're about to go on the road for the first time in two and a half years. So mm-hmm. and some new material, I think, is in the works. I, I believe so. Yeah. It's, I believe that the new album is almost done. Brujo takes forever with the vocals, so yeah. who knows how long that that'll take. But it's if he's on it, it should be out soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw a few other bands that I I don't yeah. really know too much about but that I think you were in, or some right? I, some I know you were in. So uh, Tony Fate, the Black Widows, love that record. Uh, yeah, that, um, that I've, I've been involved with, uh, Black Widows, God, it's it, it, about um, over 10 years. Oh, wow. And, uh, I guess this is the, the, the first public, uh, announcement I'm making about it, but I, I put in my resignation with the uh, Black Widows and another band that I was playing with recently called the probe pat todd's label i have your record yeah yeah and that's with a couple of guys anthony cosa and jim miller and Mm -hmm. uh and you know that's another band that i'd been playing with for about uh about eight close to eight years and in the middle of covid pandemia i just kind of came to uh uh realization that I just want to do do some new stuff mm-hmm. and and more uh kind of getting in on the uh, engineering and and mixing and producing side of things just going out and doing uh club gigs and doing tours is after almost 30 35 years of doing that uh it it gets <laughs> Yep. It gets a little the gets flavors a little out of the gum. So it did, uh, I couldn't excellently state it. Yes. I get it. Okay. Uh, another band that you played in, the Golden Rulers. I don't know anything about that band. That is uh, the, the, the great John Ramirez, LA, uh, LA icon. Uh, <laughs> that was a, a three piece. It was kind of cool that that band uh john collinson on drums like i said john ramirez vocals guitars just three three piece uh heavy heavy rock 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a cover of uh, Holocaust, uh, Death or Glory. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that from the Nightcomers the, album. Yep. You know, it was it was that was so yeah that was a lot of fun heavy rock and uh, you wear the Atomic Sherpas. Yep. Remind me again who's in that band. That's uh, Vince Marooney. Right, right. Uh, who was in uh, Bazooka. Yeah, and also... And uh, El Grupo Sexo. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> El Grupo Sexo, yeah. yeah. That's an awesome uh, band. He's, he's yeah, Vince, Vince, uh, I, I have nothing but admiration for Vince. Uh, well-known, well-respected here in L.A. And uh, I first was playing with him in a band called Slow Rider. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, you, if you'd heard of that band. Uh, that was kind of... Uh, you know, a very uh, El Chicano, Tower of Power, Santana kind of influenced yep. East L.A. nine-piece uh, band with uh, Dan Klukas on trumpet and Vince Vince Marooney on sax. And uh, after we both left Slowrider, he started uh, up the Atomic Sherpas, and, and I got involved in that and really learned a lot about, you know, like playing in in you know a jazz format reading charts and and uh cues and solos and all that kind of stuff and i learned all that from from vince so that was atomic sherpas couple great cds out if you just search you know google atomic sherpas they're they're available out there but that's yeah really proud of my uh my stint with those guys okay yeah uh, you did a stint in Clawhammer too, or at least yes. you played a reunion show with them for sure. Uh, actually, well, and and uh, when when Rob uh, Walther left the band, he moved to, I believe, Idaho, if not Idaho, Iowa, one of the the I states. But uh, yeah, he left, and then uh, there was a couple of of shows. Gosh, I don't even know the year. I want to say eight, maybe 90, maybe 1990, 91. There was, you know, about five or six shows where I did with them towards towards the end. Yeah. And then there was a reunion show. I think that was 2013. Yeah. Uh, and I played that, yeah, at the, at the Echo here in L.A. with the Cosmic Psychos yeah. from, from Australia. Great that band. was great. That was a fun show. Great band. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So Clawhammer was a lot of fun. In fact, I'm supposed to record with John Wall in the next couple of weeks. Uh, John Wall's coming up with some great solo stuff. Oh, wow. And uh, so going to be recording uh, with, with him in the very near future. Right on. Also played with Joe Biza in, uh, in the, a version of... Uh, it was called just uh, Congress, Congress of the, oh, the yeah. Universal was dropped, and it was just Con- Biza's Congress of. Yeah. So I played with that. It was uh, uh, myself, yeah, Wayne on drums, and Joe, and Dan Klukas on okay. on trumpet. Yeah. Good times. Good yeah. times. <laughs> well, speaking of studio projects, how did you end up playing on the Teenage Time Killers? record was that a oh, um, connection yeah, yeah yeah again that's going back to the final countdown uh yeah. 
Corrosion of Conformity were one of the one of the very first bands that gave me a chance, you know, like, well, by give me a chance, I say, you know, by doing the honor of coming on the show. And uh, those guys, I got to know real well. I mean, they, every show, every time they were in town, they would be up on the, uh, they must have come up, you know, seven or eight different times. Yeah. And so uh, kept in touch with Reed throughout the years, ran into him in uh, Chile, uh, on a brew during a brujeria tour, it was a big festival down there, and they were playing. We were playing, and big reunion. and And he mentioned that he says we're doing this this project in in L.A. I want you to come play on it. So, what a great miss that, that guy, is. man. Yeah, that's a that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And the 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 gig the gig for it there was a a show at the Fonda at the Fonda Theater where all everybody came and played. Uh, they had a, you know, like the backup band, Mick Murphy, you know, all kinds of people showed up that leaving, uh, Cliff, Cliff from blast was there that night, the clutch guys. Yeah. That was that, that, that's a great record. Proud to be part of that. Yeah. Blast and COC had a, had a history for sure. Right. And, um, are you familiar with Bob Lee? Oh yeah. Yep. The drummer, well, per, you know, hammer. play with the Black Gang and yeah, yeah, yeah. Claw Hammer. Uh, we've been doing a, a cover thing for, gosh, 20 years now. Oh. And that's just called the Bob Lee. We haven't done we haven't done a gig in, in quite a while. And uh, then there's Santa Sabbath. <laughs> with bob that? lee okay bob lee bob lee dresses up like santa claus <laughs> and uh sings christmas lyrics over black sabbath song wow. there's a band camp there's band camp santa sabbath okay so check it out adding that I'm to my list <laughs> really proud to add that yeah. yeah really proud really proud of that <laughs> right on sounds yeah. like you're you know you might be quitting the road but you're you're not done with music not by not, 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 yeah B- busier by the day yeah yes sir <laughs> right on pat thanks so much for yeah. taking the time to talk to me tonight i really appreciate it thank you so much man it's uh honor honor to be on here with the with the mojack family <laughs> thank you yeah. yeah so what did i tell you that is like one of the best ones we've had on the show hands down I love yeah. that. I love that. And I also love the uh, the call out in particular to the bad Latino CD that Pat and Dave Naz did with Jamie from Chemical People. People got to check that one out. Yeah, I knew you'd have that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, number one, I always forget that Billy Gould and Roddy Bottom, you know, were from the L.A. area. I always associate anything faith no more with san francisco yeah 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 uh this echo park movie from 1986 i still haven't (laughs) been able to find it but uh, it it features the partridge families susan day cheech marin is in it john paragon aka jambi on peewee's playhouse is in the movie jambi yeah oh man you know what rest in peace he passed away last year mekalekahine mekahine ho uh, Elvira's in it, and apparently the Nip Drivers. Wow. 
with Pat on bass. You know where you can find that? And one of those retro, like local community VHS stores that are still kicking around. There's like one in each city. That's where you'll find that. Maybe. Uh, so obviously, you know, we cover this off. He was known as Adam Bomb on KXLU. I was just digging around. There's some footage of him hosting up on YouTube and stuff. And I found, if you if you really dig around, a great set of Gone you can find from Pat's show, uh, The Final Countdown, if you, if you do some digging. It's from 1986. Jordan Schwartz is on there on the wow. show and they're they're running down a you know a bunch of upcoming SST shows at wow. like the music machine machine and Raji's and uh, they're talking about gone playing with mustard from Pacific Palisades. Whoa, PJD. Yeah, yeah Swa. Um, and then Gone just plays this forty five minute set on Pat show. So super legendary radio show. The guy literally interviewed everybody on that show. His bands though, Ryan I mean, first of all, I totally failed to ask him about his time in Left Insane, mm-hmm. which is going to haunt me for, for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe when we redo the entire podcast to include all the nugs from Jim Rulin's book, I'll remember to ask Pat about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, you're a much bigger Down by Law fan than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was in the band, I believe, around 93, 94. Played Just for, briefly, briefly, yeah. Yeah, played on the DC Guns single. Awesome single, really good. A split with a band called Gigantor, mm-hmm. and uh, where they ac- actually cover Mission of Burma, and then on a single called Punky Brewster, and mm-hmm. you for sure have all of that. I for sure do. Yeah. Yes. 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 Okay, and then Ryan probably his most well known band is Brujeria, <laughs> the band of psychotic, satanic Mexican drug lords. Looking forward to getting into them further when we do our Alternative Tentacles podcast. But hang on. Hold on a second. You for sure have all of those, don't you? (laughs) Not all of them, but I have some of them. Yeah, I figured so. Yeah, I used to remember, like, here's the thing. Don't you remember Faith No More from the 90s rocking Brujeria shirts Mm -hmm. all the time? I was like, what the hell is that? Alternative Tentacles? It gave, I don't know, for me it gave Faith No More even more street cred. Uh, his group he mentions he had in the early 2000s, Slow Rider. Mm-hmm. I think he describes them as like Santana-esque or something. They're cool. You can find their EP, Ma- Mass Allah. Uh, it's it's streaming. It's cool, man. There's saxes, tablas, congas, super laid back and funky with kind of Pat holding it all down. And speaking of Pat holding down the low end, if you want to hear, you know, just what a player the yeah, guy is. like he's a player, man. And... If you want to know why he's been in so many bands, check out Atomic Sherpas, specifically the live album from 2006, Blowing It At Ya. Uh, the guitar p- players Matt Lake and Kerry Foss are, are total players too. Vince McGrooney, of course, is like the star of, of the Atomic Sherpas. But holy shit, Pat is just a total groove meister. He and drummer Mike Sessa just have this stone groove on lock. Mm. It's such a fun album. Check that one out. If you, if you don't listen to anything out else, you know, that we talk about in this episode, you know, check out that from Pat. Atomic Sherpa's blowing it at you. Uh, the Black Widows, Ryan, from their, you know, from their bio say, are not a surf band. They play all original instrumental spider rock. <laughs> Four albums, circa 2001 to 2006, all on that vital gesture label, which I suspect may be a Tony Fate 
owned label. 90% of the stuff on there is associated with Tony, like the Bell Rays and the Gray Spikes. Uh, their first album, Arachnophobia, is super cool. It does have some surfy elements, but there's no like reverb. It's all power chords. It, it kind of reminds me more of that band Bill Stevenson was briefly in called The Mag 7. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. There's a bunch of bands called The Black Widows, so just check out Arachnophobia if you're trying to find them. Uh, that Teenage Time Killers record from 2015 that Pat is on is just unbelievable. The names on it are, like, just astounding. Like, just shows you how well-respected Reed Mullen was mm. to kind of be able to put that together. Vic Bondi, Pat Smear, Jello Biafra, Brian Baker, Clifford Dinsmore, Lee Ving, Pete Stahl, uh, Pat Howard, tons more. And, and it's a good album, too. Uh, the Santa Sabbath stuff he mentions with Bob Lee is pretty hilarious. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Yeah. I thought you'd like that. What's the, uh, isn't there, isn't there like the, a McDonald's Black Sabbath too? Yeah, Mac Sabbath. Yeah. Mac Sabbath. So this one's Santa Sabbath. Yep. Oh man. Uh, and then there's this Dark Side of the Ring season three, episode 13, uh, which is all, uh, so I did watch it after the interview. It's all about Rob Black's extreme pro wrestling, which is just insane. Um, uh, Larry Rivera, Pat's character isn't in it in the documentary, but, uh, you can see some stuff on YouTube, like a spot they shot in Havana, where the angle is that Rob Black had Larry Rivera deported and Larry <laughs> Rivera is really not happy. <laughs> I miss all of that about wrestling, you know, yeah. like that, that whole, you know, when they stopped you know, trying trying to like really hide that it was you know entertainment, sports entertainment. When they just came out and said, "Okay, everyone, it's really sports entertainment." Yeah. When they broke down that fourth wall, they I don't broke know. kayfabe, man. I I love I loved even though I knew it was fake. I loved believing that they believed it was real, and that <laughs> is what I loved about it back then. You know, Stampede Wrestling, all yeah. that era, man, loved it. Have you seen any of that Dark Side of the Ring? Oh yeah, I've watched yeah. all three seasons. When oh, you yeah. mentioned when you mentioned it, I was just like, I have watched the Randy Macho Man Savage and the Ultimate Warrior ones probably four times each, yeah. because because that is like, that's really my wheelhouse. Saturday morning, like when I was a kid, um, that stuff. A lot of the stuff that came later, um, even when you know the o the Hart family, all of the tragedies and controversy there, I was kind of out of wrestling by then. Yeah, same. Yeah, I, I binged the first two seasons. I kind of forgot about it, though. So I this is episode XPW um, is the first and only one I've seen from that third season. So I got to go back and watch that. Yeah. Also, while you're on YouTube checking out some Larry Rivera, check out Phantasma. That's Pat's character from Bru Brujeria uh, on Amoeba, Amoeba's What's in My Bag. He does, <laughs> he does a, an episode of that. He picks out Voivod's The Outer Limits, which is just a total deep cut for, for Voivod. Uh, he picks Husker Du's New Day Rising and some other cool records too. So check that out. Yeah. And then there's a cool interview I also found from earlier this month on a wrestling podcast called Insider's Edge that you can watch on YouTube where uh, the it's all about um, extreme pro wrestling and Larry, Larry Rivera. It's an interview with, with Pat. So that's pretty cool. I feel like we could have Pat on a few more times, and I sure hope we do. Well, we have to now because I forgot to ask him about Left Insane. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, 
Oh, shoot. Left Insane. Is that uh, Sim Kane and Chris Haskett? Is that Left Insane? No, you're thinking of... Uh, What's Left Insane? Oh, shoot. Is that Le- the... Left the all, Insane the, is... The All Guys? Yeah. Yeah, 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 right. Oh, dude, I got to listen to Left Insane again. That's It's been a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, regression? Regressive Re- Aid or something Re- like regressive, that? Regressive Aid. Yeah, that's the that's the Sim and Andrew band. Isn't Scornflakes? Yeah, that's them too. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, dude, I got to go back and listen to our own podcast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ryan, let's t- let's get into some history lesson part two. Yeah, are you in the Kelpie room yet? <laughs> history lesson part two. All right, man, it's the fatty P again. Yeah. Uh, but I loved listening to it again. Don't get me wrong. Five songs, five minutes, man. You can just listen to it on repeat. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really have too much to say about these songs. Um, you know, for me, like, I lean towards the songs on this that are on summary. Like, uh, mm. you know, I just listened to that tape so much in high school. So, you know, I like food, Wiener Schnitzel, My Dad Sucks, uh, which actually is the song that opens up summary after the, the track All. Uh but this whole thing is great. Well, I still love like every single time I hear Mr. Bass. Yeah, I know. Frank's single chord solo in that song is yeah. just, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's Mr. one Mr. chord. Bass is awesome. Yeah, it's like one of the best solos of all time. Take that alternative press. It's one of the best solos of all time. And it's one chord. It's amazing. Yeah, the artwork, um, you know, it's got that, that Frank artwork on the front um the the three inch cd doesn't exactly reproduce the artwork off the original although it does say something like it denotes tony as the wiener schnitzel employee on the three inch cd which i don't think is on the original no i didn't i checked out the original like just pictures on discogs and i don't recall seeing that most of the original text is reproduced on the back of the bonus fat 12 inch. That's kind of why I was picking it out to get all of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, hit me with the original New Alliance Dead Wax, please. Okay. The original New Alliance Dead Wax on side A says bonus butt. Mm-hmm. B-U-T-T. We've, we've mentioned this before. Yeah. And then the Dead Wax on side B says take a shit. <laughs> which which is i don't know why but it just seems so bill stevenson to me blasting off at cape canaveral man <laughs> yeah. Yeah. on the original though the label art on the b-side is was drawn by d boone yep i think it's so. the it's the guy eating a turkey and that's where you know the eating is believing kind of right. catchphrase kind of takes off and fits with um uh there's there's the eating is believing uh written out in the art by Frank Nevetta piece on uh, the back of the 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 sleeve as well I guess and produced by Spot of course as well we should keep that in mind let's do the ballot result ballot result so here's something that I didn't do as part of my homework have what? we ever picked anything off the fat EP as a ballot result before well, you're holding bonus fat in your hand right now, so what song do you think we picked? I'll give you a clue. You picked it. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. I don't know. Maybe Mr. Boss, maybe Ride the Wild? You picked Ride the Wild. 
Oh yeah, yep. so because I, I love I love that track, man. So and then and then on two things at once, we picked a song called Hope. Okay, yep. Hope, hey, boy, that's a good one. Yep. So for for this episode, I would go with Mr. Bass because I love uh, Frank's solo, man. Yeah, I I was leaning towards maybe my dad sucks, uh, but Mr. Mm. Bass is totally awesome. Let's do that one. Yeah. All right. Hey Ryan, thanks to Pat for the interview. So good. Yeah, so he, good. I I gotta listen. I just was, I was just drooling while I listened to that interview. Yeah, you can probably tell like how pumped I was to talk about metal with him too. <laughs> oh yeah, he's got he's got such a history, man. I feel like there should be a Pat Howitt book. How cool is it that you know SST basically hired him to promote two records? Yeah, I love that. They knew he would work it. Yeah. All right, Ryan. What's next week? Next week, Brent, we're going into the comp zone. Atta boy, atta boy. <laughs> it's SST two thirteen, the program annihilator two comp, and we've got a special guest. Yeah, Jim Rulin's on the show. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.